Hello, my name is Nick Latchaw, and today's history podcast focuses on reunification of the country following the Civil War in the late 19th century. Joining me today are Ethan McKenna and Brendan McLaughlin. Hello, I'm Ethan. And I'm Brendan. Welcome. I want to start off this podcast with a small background. The Confederacy, or the South, and the Union, also known as the North, were at a stalemate following the Civil War. There were many issues to be resolved in order to reunify the two sides, most of which neither side would budge. Ethan, would you like to start us off with the introduction of the 13th Amendment and the end of the war? Yes. So following the war in the mid-1860s, we see Abraham Lincoln institute the 13th Amendment, the amendment that abolished slavery and was a sort of ceiling point for the war. The amendment basically states that there shall be no slavery nor involuntary servitude in the country. This was built off of President Lincoln's former document, the Emancipation Proclamation, and essentially ratified it following the end of the Civil War. So Brennan, what was the process of passing this amendment? Was it a smooth road or did it have its hurdles? Uh, the 13th Amendment was definitely not an easy amendment to pass. So the, so the amendment, uh, did actually pass through the Senate with a two-thirds majority, and even despite the rising number of Democrats that refused to even that refused to support it, and which meant that there was a stalemate in the House of Representatives when the amendment was brought to light. Then, as this was happening, President Lincoln was re-elected as President of the United States. After Lincoln's re-election, Congress met once again, and the Republicans made it a priority to pass this amendment. At this point, Lincoln put himself into a controversial position and met with individual representatives of the House and encouraging them to pass it by all means necessary. He was reaching with his position to get the majority vote. This was controversially an abuse of power, but for the right reasons, for it would end slavery. So essentially, Lincoln was uh, stepping in to assure that this amendment was to be ratified? Yes. All right. This amendment would be ratified and passed through the House with just enough to pass the required two-thirds majority. Sadly, the president would not live to see the historical ratification, as he was assassinated on April 14, 1865, and the amendment would not be in full effect until December. Ethan, what was the makeup of the 13th Amendment, or what was its structure? The 13th Amendment had two different layers to it. The first layer is that it would abolish slavery and any kind of involuntary servitude in the United States. The second layer gave the right to Congress to enforce the article with any proper legislation that is necessary. So now this moves on to the reaction from the South with the new amendment. Brendan, the question posed is, was the South dealing with the amendment or, well, or was it a rocky sort of transition when they found out this was happening? The, the question is better understood from the terms of, was the Union not only preserved, but also the South integrated? Uh, to answer the, this in one word, no. With the introduction of Jim Crow laws and the founding of the KKK, there was a new division between the South and the rest of the Union, once again reviving the racial issue. Andrew Johnson passed the Black Codes, which greatly restricted the freedom of former slaves, which enraged the North and influenced them to to vote for a more radical wing of the Republican Party, which for a, which advocated for a much more radical pro-black reconstruction. 
Andrew Johnson's pro-South and pro-States rights position enraged the North, but, but satisfied the South. And with him being voted out and bringing in of a new radical way of reconstruction, this gave rise to the KKK and reintroduction of racial inequality and hatred. This pretty much nullified the new amendments in the South, and more conflict was aroused. So essentially, any sort of unification that began to manifest was quickly being brought down again? Uh, sort of. The North and the South both had demands they wanted to be fulfilled, and both got angry when they weren't. And when the president tried to help him reintegrate the South, the North voted him out and got someone else that would be more strict to the South. When this happened, the KKK was formed and segregation was introduced to the country, and Jim Crow laws were also introduced that put much more restrictions on the freedoms of black people. So essentially at this point, the new amendment was only to prevent slavery, but did not stop segregation? Uh, yes, Ethan, exactly. The amendments helped to finish the war and put an end to slavery, but the black codes introduced by President Johnson put a new limitation on their rights and reduced the effects of the amendment in order to try and coax the South back into the Union. So with these new laws, the South is getting what they want. The North is aggravated. Ethan, what was the political status of the nation at this point? Was there only one party now dominating the domain? Yes, so African Americans in the South allowed the Southern states to be Republican because almost all of them voted Republican. They went with Republicans because that is the party that freed them. By 1869, the Republican Party had control of all three branches of government firmly in their grasp, so they had full power over any laws, acts, or tariffs. Many people moved from the north to the south to make sure that the Confederates would not take power again. So in your opinion, do you think this was a means of reconstruction, or do you think it was a means of suppression? In other words, this dominance of the Republican Party was an attempt to rebuild or more of an attempt to put down any new attempts to rebuild the Confederacy or get free labor or secession. I personally think it was an attempt at suppression for the purpose of Reconstruction. It was an effort to keep Republican domination until the South settles down and all seems well to keep the Republican Party in power for the next couple of years to ensure there would not be any issues. Interesting. Brendan, do you think we would achieve the same result if the Democratic Party was in the power seat? Do you think peace would still be maintained? Well, look at well, look at Andrew Johnson, for instance. For instance, he was a Democratic president put in the office right after the war because of Lincoln's assassination. His entire time in office was mainly focused on reintegrating and pleasing the South. In the process, he gave way for segregation and allowed for the funding of the KKK which spent, sent another spark into the dying fire from the war because it upset the North. He did, however, focus on trying to maintain peace and was successful in that endeavor. So I do believe that there would not be another uprising or war necessarily, but tensions would be high either way. That's a great way to look at it. He focused on trying to reunify after the war, but did he do more damage than healing? Brendan, I'll let you take this one again. Well, it is controversial because his whole presidency was focused on keeping the South satisfied, but in the process, he disregarded the North and their wants. He helped to plan to redistribute any confiscated land by the Union and freed black people and freed black people back to the white, back to white Southern farmers after the Civil War. This, however, did help to mend the Civil War, to mend the, wound, mend the wounds and unite the farmers back into the country. 
He took away war debt, which allowed the South to almost immediately reconstruct and recover, and reconstruct and recover, which was also which was a good move, that helped to bring South back into the fold. Even though Johnson's efforts helped the South seamless, seamlessly fall back into the nation's arms, he, in the Southern states, introduced the Black Codes, which were a limitation on the on freed blacks and former slaves to ensure that they were still almost a slave labor force, just with a few more rights. This goes back to what I said earlier, and that he helped the South a little too much, which would end up angering the North and cause his impeachment. So he did not find a good balance. His biased opinion and policies favoring the South led him being led him led to him being impeached in favor of a much more radical wing of the Republican Party to take over. So with that said, and Andrew Johnson's presidency over, uh, what do you think played the biggest role in the middle time of Reconstruction during the mid-1860s? I believe President Johnson's presidency played the largest role in Reconstruction, because during his presidency, he managed to anger the North because of his pro-state rights and pro-segregation policies, which, while helping to coax the South back into the Union, also served to anger the North and made them impeach him. After the impeachment, a new, more radical Republican government was established and advocated for a much more ra- radical reconstruction for the next few years until balance was restored. His pro-South, pro-racism approach made it so that Ulysses S. Grant, the Union general who defeated the Confederacy and his successor, and his successor would spend most of the presidency trying to undo what most of what Andrew Johnson had done like dismantling the KKK and passing the 15th Amendment. So which branch uh, of government led the push for Johnson's impeachment, and why did they do it? Ethan, go ahead. It was mostly Congress that pushed for his impeachment after many of the laws they were trying to put forward were vetoed by him. This made him seem extremely biased, so he had to be taken out of office. So his biasness took him out of office. All right, so let's now take a look at African-Americans in political positions. The main question I want to ask about this topic is were African-Americans in political offices a good idea at the time? It'd be a controversial topic since they just came out of slavery and most people did not want to give them full rights right away. Specifically, the period of time directly after the Civil War, Ethan starts off. No, it wasn't a good idea because of the severe backlash that it received from the South and parts of the North. Even though a majority of the North wanted to abolish slavery, this did not mean they wanted completely equal rights. The timing wasn't great after they had just been established as citizens, and now if they were put in office, it would cause a huge stalemate. This backlash is what prevented people of color from being in office for many years to come. I also would like to touch on this. With slavery freshly abolished and the tension between the South and North very high, and the South still reintegrating back into the Union. At the time, it was not a good idea to put many people of color in office because groups like the KKK formed in response to the amount of black people put into the office, which in turn only ended up hurting the racial equality efforts in the South and mostly caused the introduction of Jim Crow laws, which would be the law of the land for many decades to come. Great answers, gentlemen. Now, moving on to the final portion of today's podcast, I want to ask, What do you think was the key point of rehabilitation during the 1860s? I think that the 14th and 15th Amendment played a key role in Reconstruction because it set the United States on the path to equality after all these years of war and argument. 
The 14th Amendment established that all American-born people have all the rights of citizens. These rights could not be alienated either by the state or the federal government because of their race. The 15th Amendment stated that any citizen of the United States could vote regardless of their skin color. So expand on this a little bit. How and why did they become ratified in Congress? They were responses by the federal government toward acts of racism that tried to take away the rights of freed slaves. These amendments were a way to confirm that former slaves were citizens of the country. They became ratified in Congress because much of Congress was Republican and in favor of civil rights. In 1870, 31 of 37 states voted in favor of the 15th Amendment. They were very important for that time period. They certainly were important because they permanently gave people of color rights in America. There was nothing the former Confederates could do about it. These amendments really demoralized the remaining Confederates because everything they had fought for was now invalid. Their return to slavery became impossible when the amendments were passed. On the contrary, they were a huge win for Northern Republicans because they summed up the party's main goals for the time period. Their victory in the Civil War had just been confirmed by the passing of these new amendments. So it was sort of a nail in the coffin for the Confederacy these amendments were? Yes, because slavery was impossible after they passed. They could not have possibly rebounded from this because their entire economy depended on slaves. Obviously, they couldn't afford to protest against these amendments because their numbers were too little at that point. They also already knew that they couldn't win a war against the North. The 14th and 15th Amendments would also, ta- would also affect America for many years after, as they, would n- as they could not be repealed. This meant that Americans of color had and always will have their rights as citizens. These rights cannot ever be taken away from them. All right, so overall, reintegration with the South after the Civil War may have been a bumpy road, but united we stand, together we fall. The United States reformed and became what it is today. Thank you for joining us and tuning in to today's podcast. Thank you. Thank you.